Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Going to record a podcast, so let's talk some photography stuff. Indeed. And we're experimenting with noise reduction today because there are some <laughs> men outside Jeff's house. I think they're cutting trees down. So we use Audio Hijack to record the podcast. And there is this uh, block in Audio Hijack called Denoise, and it learns the noise in the background and it cuts it out. In fact, I have a fan running fairly loud behind me and it's denoised as well. So we will talk about noise reduction for photos at some point in the future, but we just wanted to mention that we went through this whole palaver to get started here with the audio noise reduction. We should also point out this is not you know sponsor or anything like that. It's well, just the tool that we the use. However, I, except the fact that I've written the book, take control of audio hijack. Link in the show notes. That's what I was going to lead to. Yes, there so, you go. Audio hijack is great, but what you should spend the money on also is Kirk's book. <laughs> exactly. All right. So today we have a topic that is the kind of thing, this is the kind of recommendation I give to people who are getting into photography. You know, what can I do to learn photography? Before you go, before you start worrying about composition and color, learn your camera. Isn't that a great three-word title for a podcast episode? Learn your camera. Get learn to know your, your camera. camera. Because so many people, you know, we talk to people who say, yeah, I use Microsoft Word, but I only use a few of the features and it's too complicated. And okay, it is complicated. There is a yeah. manual. You can buy books and you may not need all the features. But it's the same with cameras. Whether it's an iPhone or an expensive camera, you need to learn things. And we'll link back to the episode we did about shooting on the iPhone a couple months ago because there are a number of tips and tricks that you can find out. And of course, there's no real manual for the camera app and the iPhone. It's not quite the same. But every real camera comes with a manual, whether it's a point and shoot or a Leica. And start by reading the damn manual. <laughs> yes, RTFM. Uh, which well, is I not didn't banned. want to say that. I thought RTDM is <laughs> better. Yeah. yeah. Trying to be polite. Yeah. We are a family-friendly podcast here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you're right. Because I think the thing that we forget about, and actually this is exacerbated by the companies themselves, is that idea that I can pick up my camera and set all my automatic features and go and just – push the shutter, take a picture, you'll get something pretty good. And so, you know, the, the whole idea is I want to be able to take photos and not have the complication of it. And so I think that kind of works against this idea because people are sort of trained to, well, I'm going to get a pretty good shot, especially with iPhones where you know all you have to do is tap a button and you're going to get a good shot. And then you have this the strata of, of different levels below of all the things that your camera can do. And that's when you have to remember your camera is a computer. Your camera is a highly technical device. And yet there are options to switch into movie mode. There are um, like one of the things that we've talked about in the past that I use a lot is setting your your ISO so that if you have automatic ISO turned on, 
it doesn't go above, say, you know, ISO 3200, so you're not getting something super noisy. So you have those kind of things. But if you do open that manual, there's a whole lot more. And part of what I want to discuss here is, like, is it too much? There are lots of things in my camera that I've never even touched that I know are there that I haven't really found circumstances where that would be beneficial. And then there are also times when I've been pulling my hair out and realized, ah, wait a minute, I think I saw something in one of the menus that will help me cover this. And that's when it is completely worth whatever time you put into reading your manual because that one frustration that popped you out of the situation, popped you out of your head when you were taking a shot and you didn't get the thing because the autofocus didn't fire right or your pictures are all coming out a different color cast and you pull your hair out and you realize, oh, wait a minute, someone actually has all this written down. Yeah. I, I'm thinking back to um, I, I think it was December 2019 when I went down to Bosom on the south coast of the UK to the Michael Kenna exhibit. And I asked Michael if I could take a portrait. And I had gotten my X-T3 like a week before. I wasn't really familiar with it. And there's a dial on the left that switches from single to multiple to double exposure. And I go to take a picture and it's click, but it didn't finish. And it's like, I couldn't understand what it was. And here I am taking a picture of, you know, a photographer, not knowing how my camera works. And I realized that it had been in my bag and the dial got jogged and it was in double exposure mode. So mm -hmm. I had to turn that off and then I was able to take pictures. Um, so you can accidentally engage some of these features. And that's a real problem if you don't know what they do to try and figure out how to get them off. Now, I'm really happy with my Leica Q2 monochrome because there's... Let's see. There's three buttons on the back. There's a, what would you call it? A joystick on the back right. Yeah. There's a shutter button. There's the shutter speed button on the top. And then on the right, there's a dial that's adjustable that I use for exposure companies. That's it. There's no other buttons. We'll link to my article on popular photography about the XE4. Basically, it was an article, do we have too many buttons and dials? And the XE4 compared to like the X-T3 is more minimalist and you have fewer dials. And it's like your X100V has fewer dials than your X-T3. And I find that much more enjoyable that, first of all, I can't accidentally turn something on, but also I don't have to think so much about all the possibilities that are there. Now, that doesn't mean the possibilities aren't accessible. They're just accessible through the menus. And the right. reason you need to read the menu is to know what's available through the menus, because while the buttons and dials may be labeled, if there aren't a lot of buttons and dials, then you don't know what your camera can do. Well, and also one thing that is enormously helpful is on a lot of cameras, and of course, you know, I, I have my Fuji X-T3 as an example, speaking of multiple buttons and dials, but this is this happens in all sorts of, of cameras. Uh, you have like a function button or maybe a couple of different buttons, or you have the capability to remap features to those buttons. Now, you know, that immediately sort of uh, jumps you out of the oh I can just take a picture with this anytime and now suddenly I'm 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 digging into customization and that frankly can seem kind of scary right but for example when I'm shooting one of the things that I will tend to do because like sometimes I shoot landscape sometimes I photograph people and there is 
an option in there to basically turn on the the face detection and eye detection for for autofocus. Super super helpful, but by default, there's no quick and easy way to do that. So I would have to go in and you know jump into the menus and set this, or or maybe set up a little quick menu. Well, what I did instead there on, on the XT3, there is a little unmarked button on the front near the grip. And when I press that, I have it set to just turn on the the face recognition or turn it off. And that has come in handy so many times, both, you know, if I'm I'm photographing somebody and then I go shoot something that's that, that's more of a landscape thing and I can't figure out why the autofocus is erratic and I realized, oh, it's looking for faces. It's trying to find something like that. That doesn't even seem like it's going very deep into reading the manual, going into your, your features, but it can make a huge difference so that when you're shooting, you aren't having to dig through all of this. So there's pros and cons to customizing these buttons because if you forget what you've set to the buttons, <laughs> then it's really confusing. You also well, need sure to back happens. up. Yes, you also need to back <laughs> up your settings in case your camera resets, and so you can reload them or make notes of what you've set to all the different buttons. So it, it is something that you have to do very deliberately. Of course, if you're out on a particular shoot and you're at a family party and you know you're going to want face detection, maybe at that moment you set a, a button to face detection that would ordinarily be used for something else. So this yeah. isn't permanent. You can change these things a lot. Now, one thing you mentioned, and this is the most important thing for me, is to get to know your camera. Once you've read the manual and you've checked off all the features you want to use, you can use, you get a custom menu. Now, on Fujifilm cameras, it's the Q menu or the quick menu. Um, on my Leica Q2 monochrome, it's favorites. So I press the menu button on the back, then press it again. So my favorites are drive mode. So that's single, multiple, et cetera, exposure bracketing, self timer, focus modes, exposure metering, auto ISO. And that's not a lot, but these are the kinds of things that I would want to change occasionally. Um, I don't really use face detection because I don't shoot people a lot. If I do shoot mm -hmm. people, I'd turn it on specifically. But you can put into that menu, and I'm pretty sure that every camera uh, manufacturer has a menu of this sort, right? A custom menu where you put your favorites. And you can do this to save you, you know, camera menus. It's like press, press, right arrow, press, right arrow, press, right arrow, right arrow <laughs> to get to something. And this can save you a lot of pressing and it can save you a lot of fumbling around when you're trying to get a picture quickly. Well, I think that's that's the key thing right there is because oftentimes when you want to to access these menus, uh, you may find yourself in a situation where you need to know what they do or you need to know how to customize them because you have a specific need. Uh, you know, oh, I need to to activate um, my camera's built-in neutral density filter. Some cameras have that, and. Where is that? Well, is it under the, the the camera settings? Is it under the you know the the, the focus or the you know all those different possibilities? And also, I think even I mean looking at the at the the quick menu on my XT3, I have a whole bunch of things there that I never ever use. <laughs> but you also have to. I mean, you you put a bunch of things there because you think you're going to use them, then you don't use them, and then you forget why you put them there. There are a lot of just default things that were there. Like I have options to adjust the sharpening of the finished shot, right? Yeah. 
I never use that because I, I handle sharpening elsewhere. But that was there as one of the defaults. And so if I hadn't read the manual, this would just be gobbledygook and it would sort of add to the, the confusion of shooting because you have all, all this noise. Um, yes. What I should do is, is actually see if I can just remove some of these. Well, that's what but, I was going to say. Go through that menu. It, it, I think in the Leica, the favorites menu is blank when you start. But the Q menu has a whole bunch of, I think, 12 different things. And you can remove the ones you don't use to get rid of, as you say, the noise. <laughs> what I think is funny is that uh, here I am talking about knowing what your camera can do and asking, <laughs> <And> you <don't. laughs> gosh, I wonder if I can remove those. I wonder if maybe – where would I find that information, right? <laughs> In the manual. It's, it's actually – it's, it's a bit tricky. I can't remember how I do it on mine, but I have done that. Another thing on the Fuji is you can set up a bunch of profiles. It's like C1, C2, C3, et cetera. So mm -hmm. if if you are doing a certain type of photography, you can put a number of things in that quick menu and you can just change to another quick menu with another profile. Yeah. Now, you mentioned noise and I want to bring up something. I'm just going to show you what I see. And this is what – this is more or less what I've selected to see around the frame on my Leica Q2 Mono. Now, you can okay. see there's a bunch of information. There's the shutter speed, there's the f-stop, there's the battery level, et cetera. And by the default, there's a lot of information there. Now, this is on the back screen. When I'm looking through the viewfinder, I see much less. Um, by default, they put tons of information on the screen in the viewfinder, and all cameras let you adjust that and turn off what you don't want. And that's the kind of noise I find really disturbing, um, that it's just... You don't always need to know it. Okay, you might want to have your histogram visible when you're shooting, depending on what you're shooting. Um, do you really need to see your shutter speed? Maybe if you're in low light and you want to check, but you don't need this stuff all the time. Um, if you go into the manual and find out how to remove this stuff from the viewfinder, or if you just go into the menus and look for generally it's viewfinder or LCD screen and viewfinder, that goes a great length to... I mean, noise, you said it right there. There's so much noise in these things that we want to get rid of it so we can do what we want to do, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, because, you know, I mean, there's already enough in photography that can be confusing and distracting. And, you know, like <laughs> nothing that we're talking about here actually has anything to do with what you're seeing in the viewfinder. And I don't know. I I feel like... Maybe this is sort of a contradiction of what we're talking about. Like I, I feel like I should know my camera better and I have read my manual. I cannot say that I have completely absorbed my manual. But I think one of the, the super key points here uh, – and yes, I said super key and that's not a really good phrase. But <laughs> <laughs> one of the important points is being able to – Identify what you're seeing, but also being able to know how to access or how to find this thing that you want to turn on or turn off so that you're not faced with a situation where you're photographing and the light is really great and you realize you need to do something else and suddenly your your mind becomes like like one of those fuzzy TV screens and you're you're set with, okay – how am I going to find where this was? All right, well, I'm going to start at the first menu and start ticking through. And 
like you need that 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 geography of what your camera can do so that you know ah this is a thing that i know is in the uh shooting menu and i can set my white balance here or i know that that this button like on the right for example on my xt3 there's a little four button pad around the okay button i know that if i press the right one that'll immediately take me to white balance so i can quickly change my white balance and so but how did that... you learn that oh by accident of course oh, okay but see if you read the manual you'll find that on the fujifilm cameras all four of those <laughs> arrow buttons bring up different things one of them is for um drive mode white balance and then there's two other things so if yeah. you read the yes accidentally you'll find some of them <laughs> but you won't remember them if you read the manual then it's like yes i can do this and even if you don't necessarily remember which one of the four buttons it is you'll try them until you find it right yeah yeah. Well, and also this is another thing with modern cameras. Buttons do several different things because, you know, in, in some contexts, those buttons are purely for navigation. But when you're shooting, you can access these other features. When you're reviewing images, it's going to do something else. And so, again, you have, to have, you have to build this mental model of what your camera can do. And the only way you're really going to do that in a in a useful way is to – be familiar enough with your manual. I mean, you don't have to memorize everything. There's, there's, there's so much in there that you may not ever deal with. But so we said before, if you don't ever shoot video, then you can skip those chapters. That, yeah, that's the yeah. kind of thing that uh, I mean. I, if I ever need to shoot video, I use my iPhone because it's so much easier. Yeah, but like here's like a, a good practical example that I've run into. So um, going back to the autofocus, when you have uh, face identification autofocus turned on. If you have multiple people in the shot, uh, the camera will uh, basically put little gray boxes over every face. And then you'll have one box, a, a green box over your like primary subject. Well, so many different times that has popped up and I, I want to put the box over somebody else's face. And I didn't know how to do that. And I had to go back to the manual. And um, and in fact, actually, uh, <laughs> here's another thing about manuals. Make sure you have the most up-to-date manual. Yes. Because in this case, there was a firmware update that has a separate manual that, that covers these new features. Right. And so then I realized that, oh, when I have the, the uh, shutter button half-pressed so I'm focusing on something. If I – I believe it's uh, – I, I push in on the joystick and that lets me cycle through the different faces. You know, totally non-intuitive but completely useful. Worth pointing out that Fujifilm is one of the few brands that really adds features and firmware updates. Most of them don't. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and there was a firmware update six months ago that added a whole lot of features like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So some of the manufacturers are actually getting better about this. I know Nikon is now starting doing this more, um, and I think you know a lot of it is because they, they do firmware updates to bring their cameras up to where they were supposed to be. But also, you know, I, I, and I think Fuji was pioneering in this. Of you know, people will be more loyal to your brand when they know that you're giving them better autofocus, for example on a camera that uh, – like my X-T3 came out four years ago 
and it's still a great camera. Now, is that preventing me from buying a newer camera? Yeah, maybe. But am I going to buy another Fuji after this? Probably. Yeah. Well, there's another walk-in, and that's the lenses that you bought that aren't compatible well, yeah. with another camera. So, but it is yeah, a good yeah. point. It does help. <laughs> it does help with with loyalty. Um, one area I think everyone should look at in their manual is autofocus, because different cameras have different autofocus modes. We'll link to an episode where we talked about this. I'm looking at the uh, Leica Q2 Monochrome manual, which is about 164 pages, so it's not small. I have multi-field metering, spot field metering, face detection, and touch autofocus. So touch autofocus, obviously, you can tap something on the screen to select that item to put it in focus. But you need to learn what multi-field metering and spot field metering are. And you need to know which one you want to use. And the only way to do that is to read the manual, find what they do, try them out, and look at your photos. You can't really just say, I'm only going to use this one. I mean, you could. I like spot autofocus where I pick the spot, the little square, and, and that's like the old film way of doing it. Um, I use that most of the time. But you don't – if you've got a lot of people moving around, you do want multi-field because you don't have the time for that. So that's the kind of thing that you really need to read about in the manual because – Every camera, I don't want to say every camera does it different, um, but there are different ways of doing it. Now, just beyond that, you have exposure metering options, spot metering, center-weighted metering, and multi-field metering. So like autofocus, these are three different ways of determining what the, the main subject of a picture is, and they're very important. This said, I've never really cared about metering modes because if I shoot in RAW, I can always just adjust the exposure afterwards. So if it under meters, if it underexposes a little bit or overexposes, I don't want to overexpose. I'd rather underexpose to not, mm -hmm. you know, blow out highlights and all that. Um, so I don't really care too much about exposure. But if you want to shoot straight out of the camera and make JPEGs, you need to understand how the exposure on your camera works. Yeah. Well, and also to be able to adapt to different situations where, you know, one day you may need uh, the camera to expose for the entire frame. And then there are other times when you, you want it to expose just for the subject, even if the background is too dark or too bright or whatever. And so, again, knowing how to do that. I also want to bring up another thing. You, as we're talking here, uh, you said, I'm looking at my manual now. And I know from video, you're looking at this on the computer. Yes. And if if you don't know about this, the first thing you should do is move the manual out of the camera box and set it aside and, you know, but have that somewhere where you can, you know, have a cup of coffee or tea and, and, and whatever. And then the next thing, download the manuals from the, the camera manufacturers and put them on your phone or your – Or, or your, your Dropbox or iCloud Drive or whatever. So you always have it, them. I, I want to say that when I got the Q2 monochrome, it did not have a printed manual. Oh, they wanted to save wow. paper. Now you could write in to, to ask for one, which I did mm -hmm. because I kind of wanted to have, I'm old fashioned, but um, yeah. there are cameras now that are coming without printed manuals. They explain where to go to get the PDF. So immediately download it. And yes, Dropbox, iCloud Drive. So when you're out shooting, if you have a problem, you can open it on your phone or your iPad or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You, you should always have your manual accessible somehow. And, you know, even if you do want to have like the, the a paper version of your manual, uh, you know, like say with you in your bag, um, you know, one easy tip is 
they all come in you know four or five different languages. Just take an exacto knife, cut out your language, and throw the rest away. You know, again, so that wasn't the carrying... case with the Q two because when you wrote in to ask for a manual, you told them which language you wanted. Oh, so see, okay. they were again saving space there. Um, I, I want to point out, and I, you know, we talk a lot about Rocky Nook because um, we have good rapport with the brand and they have good photographers. They have a mm-hmm. series of, um, I don't want to call them missing manuals, but guides to different cameras. And we both had the Fujifilm guide some time ago. Uh, I think it was for the X-T3. And these are good to get because these are, they're feature walks, but they're feature walks in a logical way that makes that makes more sense to a photographer than the way the manual is constructed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to pretend that reading the manual is going to be this exciting, stimulating uh, experience. I mean, these are technical manuals. And so the, these are the books that you mentioned, put things into other contexts and, you know, yeah, yeah, definitely highly recommend those. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rocky Nook, other companies, they have things like that. They don't do for Leicas though. So if you have a Leica, you might need to do something else. Now, nothing prevents you if you buy a Leica to pay the Leica store a hundred bucks or whatever for an hour or two hours of training where someone will go through the camera with you. If you can afford a Leica, you can afford that. Uh, I think a lot of photographers wouldn't want to spend that kind of money for another camera. But uh, I would say in particular, if you, okay, I don't know how many people on this listening to us afford Leicas, but still, if you are going to move to a Leica rangefinder and you've never shot a rangefinder, that would be a, a moment to get someone to explain how it works because it's a very different type of camera. If you have a camera club nearby, find, don't be, don't be ashamed to say, I got a new camera. I don't know how it works. You'll find a whole bunch of people to tell you, you know, how it's going to work and and it'll help you a lot. So I, I think the takeaway is to assume that in some ways, there's a lot of stuff hidden in the manual. There's a lot of stuff hidden in the menus, you know, eight levels of menus in these cameras. But there's yeah. a lot of stuff hidden in the manual. If you've been using cameras for a long time, you're probably familiar with the different autofocus, with the different exposure metering options, et cetera. But it's important to know what your camera does that others don't, because there are differences beyond just the quality of the sensor and the lenses from camera to camera. And again, video, I think, is totally different because I don't even understand video on a camera. Like, what is this F-Log <laughs> 10-bit something or other? I don't even want to bother with that. But I know exactly where you can find out what it is. <laughs> well, on for that, there are a couple of videos I'd look at on YouTube um, no, to, no. To, the answer was your manual. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I don't even know actually because – see, that's – now you're talking about concepts. Um, right, the manual is right, going right. to explain how to do something but it's not going to necessarily explain the concept and that's a different kind of story. But start with the manual. Read the whole manual. Try out everything. Go out and try like all the drive modes. One thing that's really weird on the the Q2 monochrome is I can do exposure bracketing instead of having like three shots sequential. The the exposure changes each time I press the shutter. Mm -hmm. So I take one shot. It's it's whatever. The next shot is minus one stop, and the next one is plus one stop. Where I was used to on the Fuji getting all three at the same time. 
So here I was, and why is this getting darker and lighter? And then I finally figured out I'd set exposure bracketing and it worked differently. So that's yeah. just the kind of thing that from camera to camera is very different. Read your manual, be good. <laughs> what about snapshots? Do you have a snapshot? I do have a snapshot. If you follow us on Facebook in the uh, PhotoActive uh, Facebook group, um, I, I mentioned this when I linked to our last episode. The snapshot that I did in the last episode was a, a travel adapter that allowed me to, you know, of course, use power when I was traveling in Europe. And I swear, like, I think a couple of days after we recorded that, I saw something that looks a little bit better. So my snapshot today is it's a company called One Adapter, uh, A-D-A-P-T-R, because we don't believe in vowels anymore. Um, well, because they couldn't get the dot com. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's called the One World 65 International Adapter with 65-watt PD charger. And you're like, oh, great, Jeff, another adapter. Uh, what's nice about this is it has the same idea as the one that I mentioned where you have – basically a small little brick and it has little sliders that will uh, push out the plugs that you need depending on which country you're in. Uh, what's nice about this is it's smaller. It uses gallium nitride technology, which is uh, showing up in a whole lot of different chargers and plugs and adapters and things, um, which allows you to have a, a smaller uh, device. Uh, this also has more uh, USB ports. So it has two USB-A ports and three USB-C ports. It's more expensive, certainly more expensive than the one that I got. It's like about $60, um, $62. But, you know, if I were going to be traveling a lot more often, I would want to use something like this where I could just take this and I wouldn't have to take any other power bricks or chargers or anything. Like like this would be the one thing that I could take and and reduce my my load because some people tell me that I take too much gear. <laughs> when I aren't, aren't those gallium nitrate chargers quite heavy though? Oh, I don't know. I saw an article about them recently because I wasn't familiar with this that they have multiple ports and so you can use one with varying wattage for a lot of devices. But I think there was something that they were very heavy compared to normal chargers. So that's worth considering uh, when you're taking all that gear on vacation. But of course, if it replaces three other chargers that together would weigh more, then that's a benefit. Yeah, exactly. All right. What do you have this week? Um, I have a photo this week. It's a photo of Miles Davis shot in 1958 by Dennis Stock. Dennis Stock was an American photographer who was really into jazz, and he took a lot of photos of jazz musicians. He published a book back in the day, and Magnum Photos sells prints and posters, and they have this poster that I have, I have seen this photo before, and I've always liked it, and I decided to pick up the poster, and it is now framed on the wall or behind my desk, and I can see it there. Um, it's an extraordinary photo with the light shining behind Miles Davis with him leaning down. His trumpet is like on a 45 degree angle. And on the right is a woman sitting looking. And it's like this communication between the listener and the musician there that's spectacular. Uh, not cheap, 100 bucks. plus I had to buy a frame, but it's a wonderful picture. If you go to Magnum, they've got a lot of photos by a lot of different photographers. And it's a good way to have you know, a really motivating picture. Um, I'm just leafing through some of them. There's 
uh, there's Elliot Erwitt, there's there's Elliot Erwitt, there's Bruce Gilden, who I don't particularly like, there's Alex Soth, there's Eve Arnold. Eve Arnold's great photos of Marilyn Monroe, for example. Uh, a lot of historical photos. Now, some of these are signed. Some of them are what do they call a state stamped. So if the photographer's dead, don't bother getting the signed edition for 50 bucks more. Just get the normal <laughs> edition. But make sure you get a frame because I think photos and posters, to really appreciate them, they have to be framed on the wall. Don't just pin them up on the wall. Here is this wonderful poster of Alfred Hitchcock by Philip Halsman where he's got the cigar in his mouth and the bird on the end of the cigar. Um, mm. Classic Alfred Hitchcock from 1962. There's a bunch of Martin Parr. There's all sorts of stuff. Magnum is a cooperative of photographers who mostly started out doing uh, press photography, but also do fine art and commercial work and all that. And they regularly have sales of prints and posters and stuff like that. So check them out. The Miles Davis is one, but there's all sorts of wonderful photos by great photographers. What size was the one that you bought? Um, the, the poster itself is 40, about 46 by 61 centimeters. So that's a foot and a half by two feet, fairly large. Okay. Nice. Um, it's not a cheap poster. It's well printed. And they, they also sell eight by 10 photos. They sell square photos that are six inch square two or three times a year. They have square photos signed by well-known photographers. So they have a wide variety of things. Sign up for their email. They've always got stuff available if you want to collect and get some good photos in your wall. And as we've always said, if you want to be a good photographer, look at good photos. So here's another way to do it. Okay. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.